Latter-day Contemplation is a podcast hosted by two Latter-day Saints who have found great value in experiencing God through walking a path of contemplation. The views expressed herein are our own. Hello and welcome to Latter-day Contemplation. We are your hosts, Christopher Hurtado and Riley Risto. Latter-day Contemplation started as an exploration of contemplative practices from many traditions to enhance our discipleship of Jesus Christ. We're by no means experts in the topics we discuss, but what we have is an openness to questions, a hunger to discover truth wherever we can find it, and a desire to share in the transformative life of inner peace. We love that you've joined us, and we hope that you find value in this community. Hello and welcome back to Latter-day Contemplation. I'm Riley Risto. And I'm Christopher Hurtado. And today we're going to talk about a topic that I'm kind of surprised hasn't come up yet. And, and I know that it's come up in bits and pieces throughout, you know, the close to a year that we've been doing this, but never as a topic in and of itself. And I think it's important uh, that we that we spend some time with this. Um, what do you think, Christopher? Yeah, I was really surprised. You know, I thought, did, have we done this? I, I texted you. Did we have we recorded an episode on this topic? And yeah, it's so important to me. It's been such an important part of my contemplative practice. So today we're going to talk about meditation. And we're going to try to give some ideas for meditation. We're going to talk about what meditation is more than what it isn't, because it's very subjective and you can make it your own. We're going to give some tips on meditation practice, how to maybe begin one if you're a beginner and haven't really spent any time with it. And then talk about its significance, maybe even in the LDS context and and how it might be useful for us without necessarily disturbing our own theology or culture. And it can just be something that uh, enhances our own uh, practice and and religious devotion, our discipleship. So I'm excited to do this. And uh, I'm not exactly sure how to start, but I'm going to I've got a lot of stuff written down, a lot of notes. And maybe what I'll do is I'll I'll begin by just stating what meditation can help us achieve. So there's this Indian yogi, and his name is Yogananda, Parahamsa Yogananda. And he came over from India to America sometime in the early 20th century. And he spent a lot of time here, and he filled stadiums. I mean, the guy was tremendously popular. And I think it's because he accepted... Jesus as as a guru, and I hope I'm stating that correctly. I'm no Yogananda disciple. I'm not really sure uh, if that that's a completely true statement, but I know he had tremendous respect and and uh, really looked up to Jesus as as a sort of guru, and that really sparked something within the American Christian milieu because for the first time they connected the spiritual practice of the yogis which is really non-theistic. Um, the- and it's uh, even though there's a theistic element to the Indian religions, the, the practice of meditation is not necessarily theistic in itself. And so people started connecting these two, the practice of meditation with, you know, the theology of Christianity and, and thought, oh, this is a great way to enhance our own theology. And so he became tremendously popular. And anyway, one of the things that he said that really strikes a chord with me, and I've repeated it on the podcast in the, in the past, in past episodes, is this quote that says, stillness is the altar of spirit. 
And I love that quote, stillness is the altar of spirit. Because for me, what that does, it really epitomizes what meditation does for me. What does that speak to you, Chris? I really relate to that quote too, Riley. You know, actually, when it comes to Yogananda, I myself have heard of him and have been meaning to read his autobiography and, and even have it and just haven't gotten to it yet. It was sort of a spontaneous idea to talk about this topic today. Again, I can't believe it hasn't come up uh, yet as its own topic because because of what meditation does mean in terms of stillness and how important that stillness that I've gotten through meditation has been to me in my contemplative practice and in my harried, hurried world. Yeah, I think most people can relate to that, especially living in the United States. We're a very achievement-oriented society and culture, and it's always go, go, go. You know, what can we do next to accomplish this this goal in our day? And we're task-oriented. It just seems like we don't make a lot of time for stillness, quiet, peace, moments of, of meditation. You know, that reminds me, there's a book by Ryan Holiday entitled Stillness is the Key, in which he explores what is a contemplative topic, right? This idea of stillness. And he covers all kinds of contemplative practices in his book, but not meditation. And he left it out intentionally because he thought it would would turn people off because of what you just said. Isn't that interesting? Well, it makes sense. I mean, I think there's a little bit of a taboo associated with meditation, certainly within Christian communities and, and maybe even particularly within the LDS community. We're, we're very, I don't want to say close-minded or isolated because there are LDS folks throughout the world and, and they have different levels of exposure to other cultures and whatnot. But in terms of our theology, we're very protective of that. And it's hard for us to step even small steps outside of that without feeling a certain amount of risk. Like if it didn't come from the mouth of a general authority, I'm having a hard time getting with it type thing. And so it feels like it's a risky thing to step out on that ledge and try something new. Another thing about it is the idea that so many of us have have had, at least I had, and I think I'm pretty sure a lot of people can relate to this because I've I've met quite a few people who they've either, either talked to me about it or they tried to get me involved in it or they've been involved in it and given up on it. And it's this experience of not being able to do it right. So even if you were open to it, this it it just becomes a turnoff to people who have tried it and failed. If that's really, I don't know that you can actually fail. Again, to me, this meditation thing is a lot like language learning, which is something I have a lot of experience with learning and teaching languages, that is. And I don't think that there really is such a thing as a bad language student, only bad language teachers. And I just think that I personally have experienced some bad meditation teachers, and then I've had a good one, and that changed everything. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, as you were talking about that, I think everyone who has some experience with meditation knows it's like anything else. You know, for me, I immediately thought of fly fishing. Fly fishing is not something you go out and try once, and all of a sudden you're like, man, I'm a really good fly fisherman, and I really love doing this. Most people that I've taken out to learn how to fly fish on the first time don't really enjoy it that much. And I totally get it because they usually don't have success catching fish. Um, they, they will have experiences where it's, you know, inherently not enjoyable, like getting tangled up in some bramble behind you as you cast your line 
or maybe slipping on some river rocks and falling neck deep into the river and filling up your waders with water. I mean, there's always these, <laughs> these um, experiences that are not inherently enjoyable. And I think meditation and many other things can be similar to that. The first couple times you do it, you just have no clue what you're doing. And you, so as a result of that, you fall into common, common um, pitfalls. And it just becomes discouraging. And so I think that's a common experience for a lot of people. For me, the main one, the main negative experience, and the thing that, 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 again, that I learned from a better teacher than the teachers I had had before recently, is this idea that I think so many people have the idea that to be able to meditate, that you have to not have any thoughts. And this idea of not having any thoughts is just not possible. And, and if it, I say it's not possible, I've experienced glimpses of being out of that, what I'm going to call the monkey mind. This came up in our last episode on journaling. I mentioned my morning pages practice of dealing with that monkey mind first thing in the morning by going to the morning pages journal and just writing, you know, freehand, free form, stream of consciousness, get it all out. And I remember you mentioning that you didn't have any thoughts or that you had this, that you had focused thoughts or what you can clarify on that, um, that, that, that you didn't think that this practice made sense to you and that maybe you didn't even have any thoughts to write down. And I'm talking about this kind of thing that shows up when you try to meditate where you just have these, your mind just goes from this to that, the other, and you're trying to be still and you're trying to be quiet and contemplative and meditate. And you have all these thoughts coming to you. And the idea that you're somehow going to conquer that just seems impossible. It just seems unrealistic. And so I think that that's something we have to go into a little bit is to explain what we actually do with those thoughts. And, you know, one practice, which is not meditation, is that morning pages practice. I wonder if you'd care to comment on that. Well, I think what you're describing is maybe it's a microcosm of the experience of the whole audience and everyone out there. You have people on one side of the spectrum that don't have very busy minds uh, in terms of having things constantly, you know, uh, inserting themselves into your mind as kind of outsider, you know, thoughts. Um, and then you have people who are constantly bombarded with thoughts. And, you know, there might be clinical diagnosis for, for someone on one side of the spectrum and for someone on the other side of the spectrum. I don't know. All I know is that I certainly am on that that former side of the spectrum rather than the latter, whereas I, I don't experience a lot of invading thoughts during my day. Um, if I'm experiencing a heightened level of anxiety about a particular experience that I've had recently, I can certainly get worked up about that one thing, and that happens a lot. And meditation is a way for me to calm my mind and find some stillness and peace away from that invading thought or that actually even not invading. Sometimes it's just a present reality. And meditation does help me with that. But I'm not one who experiences a lot of just kind of random stuff popping into my head. That might not be relatable for a lot of people. And so I can understand where you're coming from, where you say, I just don't think that's possible. And and that we all make these judgments based on our own experience, you know, and I've personally had the experience where I don't have thoughts popping in my head at all for 10, 20 minutes at a time, not a single thought. And I'm not even sleeping. Fully is awake. that true when? Is that true when you're meditating though? Yes, that's that's when incredible. I have that. Primarily is when I'm meditating. In fact, just an hour before the show, I wanted to have 
I wanted to have prepared myself to speak about this topic. And so I said, what better way than to meditate? And so I spent half an hour in my office here just meditating in silence and stillness. And, I, you know, I, I, I really enjoy the Lectio Divina practice, which I've brought up several times. I think we even might have done an episode on it with Shiloh um, early on. But so I started it, you know, in the scriptures and then with prayer and then, and then went into my meditation and in that meditation, I, I literally did not have a thought for probably 10 minutes at a time. Um, so that, it's a very common experience for me, and, and perhaps it's a gift, perhaps not, I don't know. But um, I certainly, it's harder for me to relate to someone being bombarded with thoughts all the time. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, well, let's talk about what to do when we do have thoughts. And maybe you can't actually say anything about this since you don't have this problem. But again, I've I've had gotten the idea whether it's the teachers told me or whether I misunderstood or whatever the idea is that I've gotten the idea that somehow I'm supposed to be like Riley without any thoughts when I'm meditating and the thoughts just come and you're meditating and you're trying to focus on a mantra and we'll have to go into what that means and whatever dishes come up or taxes or what have you and so one of the things that, that, that made a big difference to me is to learn that, and, and, and in some sense, I think I'd been told this, but it's to really get that whatever comes up, you just notice it. By the way, if you feel uncomfortable in your positions uh, sitting, that's another thing. You just notice, I notice I'm feeling uncomfortable, and then you just let it go. And letting go is hard for me, Riley, in, in so many ways. You can ask my wife uh, if you don't believe me, but... This is just one example, right? Just letting these things go. And, you know, you can, another thing too is this idea that you have to sit still. Yeah, overall you're sitting still, but if I'm very uncomfortable, I just change positions. And if I want to know how long it's been, I look at my watch, my my meditation teacher, which by the way, just means uh, the the one that I learned from through a book. I didn't go to a teacher. I watched YouTube videos. I read her book. Her name is Emily Fletcher. Her book is called Stress Less, Accomplish More. Her emphasis is that this isn't a meditation for monks. I'm not a monk. That that appealed to me. And she gave me permission to look at my watch and to sh- shift my position and to and not to beat myself up if I have thoughts, you know? And so that was really helpful. Yeah, I love that. And um, I, I don't want to create the you know, the impression that I don't ever have thoughts during meditation. I'm just saying that I, I probably am f- further to the left side of that spectrum if there is a left right on that that says, you know, I don't have a lot of things bombarding me. I, I certainly, like in my last meditation here, I did have a couple things come to my mind and I was able to quickly, you know, just notice them, return to my mantra, and then they just kind of went their way. And, and that was fine. I mean, but I did have a stretch there for at least 10 minutes where, really nothing came to mind. And that was beautiful. I loved that 10 minutes was awesome. I can only imagine, you know, that sounds really blissful. For me, I get glimpses of that. And even that is blissful. And, and meditation is so restful. It's restful in a different way than sleep. And it can even help me mornings when I don't wake up rested from sleep to rest in a way that makes up for lack of rest and sleep. I've just had such positive uh, positive experiences with it. I love that you brought up rest during wakefulness because if there's one sort of physical or phenomenological experience that I 
have after or during meditation. It's that I just feel rested after. And, and it's awesome. I mean, I, oh, I, I typically will do my little heart rate monitor on my phone after I'm done, before and after. And I always, always notice a drop in my heart rate. And I'm sure that's accompanied by a, a drop in my blood pressure as well. It just is something that is so relaxing to me. And it, it does bring me rest and peace in a physical way. That makes sense. So one of the other things that I experience during or before meditation, and sometimes as a result of the practice of meditation, is I have instances of synchronicity all the time. And maybe it's because I'm getting better at noticing and being aware of things, because that's one thing that meditation does for you for sure, is that when you're sitting in stillness, you sort of become hyper-aware of either a sound or temperature, like you said, whether you're comfortable or not comfortable in your sitting position. And, and that hyper-awareness it follows you. It's not just something that happens during meditation, but it starts to follow you throughout the day as you become more consistent in your practice. And so one of the things I've noticed and become aware of in my life is just a whole lot more instances of synchronicity. Right before my meditation today, as I said, I went into the scriptures and I was going to, you know, give, get something out of that that was going to become my mantra for my meditation. And I decided, like I often do, just to kind of randomly flip pages. Well, in this case, I, I just had my, my phone, so I opened up my gospel library. And without looking, I kind of just went click, 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 click with my finger. And wherever I ended up in the scriptures is, is where I was going to read. And the shocking, almost synchronous thing to me was where I ended up today knowing that I was going to speak about meditation with you, I landed in Mormon chapter 9, verse 13, and I actually, my finger actually clicked on the word presence, which was highlighted with a footnote. And I ended up in the footnote without even looking, and it says God, presence of, or it says presence of God. I, I just, I thought to myself, that that's one of the most synchronous experiences I've ever had in meditation, for sure. To know where I was going to be, who I was going to be speaking with, the subject I was going to be speaking about, and to just randomly click through and land on the presence of God. That was just powerful to me. So that became my mantra in meditation today was presence of the Lord, which is what the scripture says. It says, and because of the redemption of man, which came by Jesus Christ, they are brought back into the presence of the Lord and I can scarce think of a better description of meditation than, than that. Than being in the, in the presence of the divine? Yeah. You know, there's a name for what you've done. I know you know this, Riley. Sortes Biblicae, or Sortilage, or Bible Lottery. This idea of going into the scriptures at random and finding something like that. That's pretty cool. You know, it reminds me, I think it was two Sundays ago. Yeah, two Sundays ago, I was in Salt Lake City, and I, atten- I celebrated Mass at the Cathedral of the Madeleine, and a couple of things stood out in the homily. And they are very much related to meditation, again, because for me, as for you, meditation is about being still enough to notice and be present to the divine presence. The priest mentioned in the homily the idea that, that God came to be, that Jesus came to be, and that he wants us to be with him. And so he mentioned, uh, before this, he mentioned actually the now of Jesus. He mentioned the now of Jesus. He mentioned that we are in a sacred space 
Morgan Aldis, whom we've had on the podcast to talk about alchemy and, and the Beatitudes and whatnot, was sitting next to me. He said as soon as he heard the priest say sacred uh, space, he was listening for sacred time. And it turns out the next thing the priest said was now. So we're here in the sacred space now, he said. And the point was to be in the presence of the divine, to be present to Jesus who came not only to do, but just to be, and that he wants us to be with him. And this is a way, meditation is a way that we can be with him. Boy, I love that. And I think if an LDS listener is listening to this and has not established a meditative practice, perhaps the best way they can relate to what you just described is sitting in the celestial room of the temple. If you've had that experience, you're not there to do anything except just be. Uh, it doesn't require anything of you. You're not required to pray. You're not required to read scriptures. You're not required to talk to anybody. The, there is no requirement. The only thing you go there to do that's sort of the bare minimum is just to be. And when you put yourself in that place with that expectation only, just to be, some pretty cool things can take place for you. And I think many people can attest to that. So perhaps that's a way to relate to what you're describing. That's a really good way to think about it. And we can create that kind of sacred space and time in our homes. You know, it helps when we can go to the temple to leave everything at home behind or at work or both and to go to that sacred space and to, and to participate in, in the sacred ordinances and sacred time. And yet we can create sacred space in our homes and we've been told to that our home should be like unto the temple and we can take time to create in that sacred space sacred time and meditation is one of the ways we can do that well chris we're, this is an episode about meditation and i think we would be totally remiss if we didn't read the most famous quote from david o mckay about meditation and the reason why i want to do this is because first of all i want to set the audience's mind at ease to let them know that this is not anything that's taboo. In fact, it's encouraged. And just because we don't have a lot of experience with it as a culture doesn't mean it doesn't have great value. And so I'm going to read this quote from David O. McKay. And it's one that I love and I've read several times to people who don't quite understand the value in meditation. He said, we pay too little attention to the value of meditation, a principle of devotion. In our worship, there are two elements. One is spiritual communion arising from our own meditation, the other instruction from others, particularly from those who have authority to guide and instruct us. Of the two, the more profitable introspectively is the meditation. Meditation is the language of the soul. It is defined as a form of private devotion or spiritual exercise consisting in deep, continued reflection on some religious theme. Meditation is a form of prayer, and I would say vice versa, if I were to interject there. Meditation is one of the most secret, most sacred doors through which we pass into the presence of the Lord. There's that phrase again, the presence of the Lord. The synchronicity is just killing me right now. <laughs> I want to read that, that line one more time. Meditation is one of the most secret, secret most sacred doors through which we pass into the presence of the Lord. What does that line call to mind for you, Chris? For me, it actually calls to mind my own personal experience of coming into the presence of the Lord through meditation. I've actually 
gone through that secret, sacred door. And that's why it's so important to me. That's why this practice is so important to me. That and the restfulness and the peace and the stillness, there's so much that I get out of it that I really notice when I skip it. If I fall off the wagon and I and, and not only skip it for a day or something, because I'm too busy, the irony of that, right? When I, when, when you, when I need it so much because of my busyness, then I really notice too the long-term effects because, you know, it's something that, as you said earlier, that it stays with you. It's, it's not just something that you get something out of while you're in it. It's something that makes a difference in your everyday life when it's part of your regular practice. When this is something that I do every morning along with my journaling practice, it really helps me to become more aware of, again, this very first question of contemplation, where am I? Because it really brings me into the present. And it's and then with journaling again, to kind of get to know where am I? And, and there, by the way, there are different ways that we can interpret this question, where am I, right? Because you don't have to think about just location. You can also think about where you are in your relationship with the divine. And coming into, the, into contact with the divine presence through that experience brings that answer, where am I, into the present or into the presence or both. Really Love both that. at the same time. Yeah, and I couldn't agree more that, and especially the part about it staying with you, the one of the great benefits of having a mantra during meditation is that that mantra is, it becomes something that is a reminder throughout your day. You can almost call yourself back to where you were and how you felt during meditation by a simple repeating of the mantra in your mind. And it's almost like that song that reminds you of something you did during high school or that experience you had with your family or whatever. A mantra can do very much the same thing. It can transport you back in time to how you felt during your meditation. So I think mantra meditation is fantastic for that reason. I want to continue this quote from David O. McKay. There's a little bit more to it. Um, so again, he says, meditation is one of the most secret, most sacred doors through which we pass into the presence of the Lord. Jesus set the example for us. As soon as he was baptized and received the father's approval, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus went to what is now known as the Mount of Temptation. I like to think of it as the Mount of Meditation, where during the 40 days of fasting, he communed with himself and his father and contemplated upon the responsibility of his great mission. One result of this spiritual communion was such strength as enabled him to say to the tempter, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Before he gave the beautiful Sermon on the Mount, which we love, spend a lot of time on, he was in solitude, in communion, he did the same thing after that busy Sabbath day when he arose early in the morning after having been the guest of Peter. Peter undoubtedly found the guest chamber empty, and when they sought Jesus, they found him alone. It was on that morning that Peter said, All men seek after thee. Again, after Jesus had fed the five thousand, he told the twelve to dismiss the multitude, but Jesus went to the mountain for solitude. The historian Matthew says when the evening was come, he was there alone. Meditation. Prayer. Both of those words were followed by exclamation marks. And again, that's from David O. McKay. Absolutely love that. Not only is he making a recommendation about the value of meditation and that we all should have a practice there, but he's also 
pointing straight back to the Savior, making this a Christ-centered practice, hoping that we'll see the example of Christ and the great value that it brought to him to give him not only spiritual power to withstand the temptations of the tempter, the accuser, Satan, but also to bring him into communion with his Father in heaven. I, I just I can't think of a better example of why we should be doing this ourselves than that. Yeah, I noticed in you reading that quote, the line, he communed with himself and his father, is exactly what I just described right before you read the rest of that quote. And in answering your last question, when you paused in the middle of the quote about the, when you asked me about the going through the divine secret door or the secret sacred door into the divine presence, and that is the experience of communing both with myself and with the divine. You're, you're absolutely right. And what you call to mind for me is this metaphorical door. And we've talked about this in the past. When Jesus made the recommendation to go into your closet and pray, like not out on the streets in public like the scribes and the Pharisees do, but to go into your, your private closet and shut the door and pray, like to me, that's the same metaphorical door there. We're opening the door to our soul, our spirit, where the divine presence lives and communing with ourselves and with God. Yeah, you know, if we think about the time in which that, that was said and what the house looks like, what, what most people's houses look like, there's no closet like we have today. There's, no, there's one room. The whole house Especially is a walk-in space. closet, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, it's just one shared space. And so this closet has to be metaphorical. The kingdom of God is within you, uh, is what Jesus tells us. And so to me, going into that closet means going within and finding myself there in the, in the kingdom of God, in the presence of God. And it's sort of the same metaphor when he says, knock and it shall be opened. Yes, indeed. Using this metaphor of a door, it, it implies that there's something that has to be done to open that door. Um, you know, he says that I, I come and I knock, but it's up to us to open. And everyone's seen that the famous painting where Jesus out, stands outside the door knocking and it doesn't have a handle on the outside. It's up to us to open that door and invite the presence of the Lord in. And we do that esoterically. We do that on the inside, correct? Yeah, and we don't have to do much other than to actually stop and listen, right? It really is just about being still and knowing that he is God and that he's there, that he's present, that he's always with us. And meditation can be very helpful in, in doing this because it is a practice of stillness and of listening, of noticing. So I hope we've identified at least some of the benefits and the reasons why it it could be a good idea to start your own meditation practice. So for those who are just getting going or haven't had any experience with this but want to, Chris, what recommendations would you have for our listeners in that respect? You know, the first thing that comes to my mind after the experiences that I had that were several negative experiences of not really learning meditation, a trying, attempting, failing, having, again, bad teachers, misconceptions, misunderstandings, all of this, it was, you know, coming into contact, what made the difference for me was coming into contact with the teacher that I could, that I found relatable. And so I, I do, I like her, her teaching and I found it helpful. 
And again, her name is Emily Fletcher. Her book is Stress Less, Accomplish More. And her approach, again, is this meditation that's that's not for monks. She herself was a, a Broadway actress, very successful Broadway actress, but under so much stress that she found herself aging very quickly and in ill health. And so she actually went off to India and studied. And so the, what I love about having her as a teacher is that I don't have to go off to India to study, and I also don't have to study from uh, someone that that's maybe less relatable to me as 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 multicultural as my own experience has been i can relate most easily and i i I imagine most could relate most easily to someone you know closer to home and that's that's who emily is to me she's the girl next door and she she helped me understand a few things i wouldn't mind going through some of those things here if you if you'd like to do that riley i don't know what you have in mind in terms of sharing your own practice or your or the own or your own method of meditation I'd be happy to share mine. Yeah, go ahead while you're in the mode. I'm going to do the same. Yeah, so what I learned from her, there are a couple of things. One is distinguishing between mindfulness, meditation, and manifesting. As she points out, these three things get conflated, and they really are three separate and distinct things, and they're actually all three part of the practice that I learned from her. And so mindfulness really is just about noticing. And so going into a 20-minute meditation, the first couple of minutes are just about noticing what you can hear, see, smell, taste, touch, from that which is most noticeable to that which is least noticeable. And so that includes feeling yourself in the chair. It includes the sounds that are around you, which, by the way, I you know I thought it had to be quiet for me to meditate, and it doesn't have to be quiet for, for me to meditate. I still like it when it is, but sometimes my reality as a, as a father of, well, nine, but I have five at home, is just it's not quiet. That's just how it is. And so noticing what I can hear, what I can see, what I can smell, what I can taste, and then going into this repeating of a mantra, and of course, breathing. I had a friend that that taught me before I came into contact with Emily's work that any breath, any one breath that I focus on is a meditation. I don't know if you know Ron Adair. I learned that from Ron Adair, that if I just pause a moment, and and I'm always breathing, right? We're always breathing. But if I notice my breath, if I just take a breath that's intentional, that's a meditation. But this practice, again, is going into the next 18 minutes, let's say, or well, we need a few minutes on the back end too. So a couple of minutes on the front end for mindfulness, and then a couple of minutes on the end for manifesting. But in between, it's mostly about spending about 20 minutes, a little less than 20 minutes, breathing, and noticing what comes up and letting it go and repeating a mantra. And the mantra that I learned from Emily from her book is one. And I love this mantra because my focus in meditation really is on being one with everything, on being one with God. And I'm realizing that that there really is not, uh, that there doesn't have to be a separation between me and God, that God and I can be one, just as Jesus said, the Father and I are one. And as he said, be ye therefore perfect, even as your father, and then later as I am uh, perfect. And he says, come follow me. And he's telling us that that what he's doing, he saw the father do, and he's asking us to do as he's done. And so all of these things tell me that I too can be one with the father. And that's the experience that I, that I focus, but I can't chase it. So one thing I'll say in, in terms of giving advice, and again, I, I learned this even 
from Emily is not to chase it, but to just be present and to let it come to you. And so as I repeat this mantra, as I breathe in and out, one, I just find myself in maybe not 10 minutes, but of these glimpses where I can't tell the difference between me and anything else, where there's no distinction between me and God or anything else in God's creation. And I usually don't know this when it's happening. It's only when I've come out of it that I know that I'm not there anymore, that I actually notice it. And then the last part of the of the practice is the manifesting practice, and that is to take a minute at the end of the meditation to visualize something that that you would like to accomplish as already having been accomplished. You know, if you've if you've thought about writing a book or if you're working on writing a book, you can envision the day that your book comes in a box to your home and you open the bo- box and your family's surrounding you and there's your book in your hands, something like that. And usually my, my, my manifesting experience, if not my meditation experience as a whole, produces an in the name of Jesus Christ, amen, experience at the end. And, and so again, that line between prayer and meditation is somewhat uh, fuzzy. It's a little bit of gray area. I do see an overlap there too, as you mentioned earlier. How about you? Yeah, I want to. I think I want to build off the comments you made about breathing because I just think it's so integral to anyone finding and really connecting to a practice of meditation when they're unfamiliar with what it's all about. Good. That's where I started was was in breathing, and I could go through the genealogy of the who's introduced me to what and the chronology of the when I started this and when I incorporated that. But really where it all began for me was with breathing. And the reason why I think that was so powerful for me in establishing a meditation practice is because it's autonomic. Every single person breathes. Not everyone is aware of their breath because, again, it's autonomic. We do it without thinking about it. We do it when we're unconscious, when we're completely out of it. People in a coma can often breathe on their own with almost zero brain function whatsoever. So it's, it's totally just, it's, it's autonomic. It's, it does it by itself. And for some reason, that was the beginning point for me where I thought, okay, I can do this because I can breathe. And I think that that's all it takes to begin is just breathing. You know, a lot of people, again, as you said earlier, have frustration with trying to establish a practice at the beginning. I think they try to do too much. And I think simplifying it down to its most basic elements and then building on it little by little, you know, as, as they say in LDS scriptures, line upon line, precept upon precept, here little, there little. I think it's important to do that same thing with meditation and not try to do too much. I'm still no expert at it. I mean, I'm five years in now of a pretty consistent practice, and I'm, I'm no expert. And so I would say to you, the listener out there who's, who has tried it maybe and got frustrated, just take it back to the most basic element of, of a meditation, any meditation, which is breathing. And so I, I'd like to just kind of go through the steps of, I guess you could call him my meditation guru, because I, I spent some time learning, um, not personally, just kind of indirectly as you did with Emily Fletcher from a guy named Phil McLemore. Phil's an LDS guy who, um, yeah, just really interesting life growing up in the church and, and even outside his, his non-church, non-clerical experiences. 
really interesting guy. Um, he was a chaplain in the military. Um, he did meet with uh, some of the early acolytes of Yogananda and, and got very familiar with that practice. But nevertheless, he has established a pretty formal meditative practice based on a lot of the Yogi Sutras and and uh, the Vedas from Indian culture. And he, so I guess it started with breathing, but at the same time I was studying Lectio Divina. And it was in the study of Lectio Divina that I see, okay, there's these, there's these four or five, depending on the way you look at it, f- steps in Lectio Divina. And the second one um, is meditation. And I'm like, gosh dang, I really don't know how to meditate. And so as I was trying to do this uh, Lectio Divina, I was having great success in my scripture reading and in my study and prayer, but not a whole lot was coming necessarily out of the meditation. And so I, I, like I said, that's when I really focused in on just the breathing. So I'm going to go through in a condensed uh, sense the steps that Phil McLemore outlines for a meditative practice. And I hope that being concrete and specific will help the listener to be able to implement some of these things. And so if you want to take notes, maybe now would be a good time. Um, I've also got all of these steps posted on my Facebook group called uh, LDS Lectio Divina, which you're welcome to join. It's a private group, but just send in uh, a request and I'll allow you in. So I'm going to go through these real quick. First step, find a quiet place to sit where you can be undisturbed if possible. And that's important to note that last bit, because again, we don't always have that luxury, but if if you're able to find a place that is quiet and where you can reasonably expect to not be disturbed, it, it does help, obviously, to create an environment of stillness. Uh, he recommends morning and before meals. For me, I like morning. I don't really pay attention to whether I've eaten or not. And then I do a little one in the evening as well before I go to sleep. Um, it's kind of like starting my day and finishing my day in this in this meditative um mode. But do what works for you. Again, keep it simple. Don't, you know, hyper obsess about things. The next step, choose a comfortable sitting position, back and neck straight, head unsupported, hips above knees, palms upward, resting on thighs. Now again, all this sounds very formulaic, but what we're trying to do here is just give you the guidance to to start one. And if you go into this and you don't really like that posture, change it. Do something else. Step three, 10 to 20 minutes is an ideal time for a a substantive meditation. But if you have to go shorter because of time constraints or whatever, just get started. Step four, close your eyes and offer a short devotional prayer expressing your intent to commune with God. And mine is as simple as, you know, God, I seek after thy presence. Something super simple, but just to express the intent of what you would like to have take place during your meditation. And then this one is where it becomes so important, the actual physical how-tos. Inhale and exhale diaphragmatically. So your diaphragm is that, that barrier between your lungs and your, your innards down in your stomach and whatnot. And when you're breathing diaphragmatically, you're breathing into your belly. That's how babies breathe. So a baby is born, you always see their belly expanding and, and retracting with their breathing. They're breathing diaphragmatically. And that the great lesson for me in that is that we we come out knowing how to do this. We, we're breathing the right way right from birth. 
and stress and anxiety and all kinds of other things cause us to not be aware of our breath or to start breathing into our lungs either too fast or uh, too shallow. And so breathing diaphragmatically forces the breath to push down on that diaphragm, which essentially you're filling more of your lungs up. Find a comfortable pace and depth for your breathing and bring your awareness to the rhythm of your breathing. The next step about a mantra is incorporated with this previous step. When you have a mantra, it actually helps to establish the rhythm of your breathing and be aware of it. Personally, I mean, Chris, you said you like the mantra one, and I love, I love that. It's awesome. I use peace a lot, a single syllable. But I think for establishing a rhythm, sometimes a multisyllabic syllabic, uh, mantra might be helpful. Something in the four or five syllable range where you can breathe in for half of it and breathe out for half of it at a comfortable pace. So that, that's a little tip that might be helpful. And as far as establishing a mantra, or if you don't know what a mantra is, it's usually a word or phrase, short phrase, that expresses intent or that you derived some in-the-moment meaning from as you were either studying scriptures or thinking about your meditation. So again, for me to repeat, mine today was the presence of the Lord because I, I, you know, I put my finger on that scripture in my LDS library. So the presence of the Lord became my mantra for my meditation. And it was awesome. So you can either repeat your mantra, you know, quietly, or you can do it in your mind. And then again, timing your mantra with your breathing is helpful to keep awareness in that present moment in your breathing. If you're distracted, bring your attention back to the mantra, back to your breath. But it's going to happen occasionally, so learn to incorporate distraction and not let it frustrate you. Meditate without expectation. That's really important. A lot of times we go in with this intention, and if we don't get it, again, the frustration mounts. But if instead you can go into it without any expectations, while at the same time expressing intent, be patient. If nothing happens, that can actually be a blessing. Like I said, bathing in that stillness of the Spirit when nothing's happening, a lot of times that's my absolute favorite part of a meditation. So that's perfectly okay if nothing happens. In fact, it's better than okay. If a lot of thoughts start to enter into the session, notice them and then repeat your mantra quietly and let those thoughts go for now if possible. And again, this may take some practice, but try not to get frustrated. Those thoughts, by the way, they may not be completely random or inconsequential. So it is important to notice them and maybe put them you know, on the, on the whiteboard of your mind and, and come back to him during contemplation is something that perhaps demands a little more of your attention. Following meditation with prayer or scripture reading can bring greater insight, focus, or even re- revelation to your session. And then mentally return to your meditation as you go throughout your day. If you're confronted with stress or anxiety, try to remember how you felt as you breathed in and out. Recall how your heart rate fell and how calm and relaxed you were. The more you make meditation a practice, the easier it will become to return to this moment of peace and divine presence. So those are 10 steps from Phil McLemore that I really love. And again, they're posted in my LDS Lectio Divina page on Facebook if you want to join us there. But And they're, they're by no means prescriptive. Tailor it to yourself. There's as many meditation practice 
types as there are people. Just make it what works for you. So anyway, any thoughts on those, Chris? Yeah, you know, I really appreciate you going into that level of detail. And I, you know, I was really struck by how many of the things that are part of your practice or a part of my practice that I just didn't mention. You know, whether it's sitting with the neck unsupported, because you're not getting comfortable enough to go to sleep. You want to sit comfortably, but not comfortable enough to fall asleep. And by the way, because I was just talking to one of our listeners where she's having a hard time staying awake during meditation. And it's funny because right after we talked about that synchronicity, as synchronicity would have it, I came across a line in a book that said, if you're falling asleep, well, then don't meditate, sleep, right? Maybe what you need is sleep. And so I sent that, I sent a picture of that page to her and, and she laughed. Breathing into the abdomen is really important, right? That idea. And then the same idea with the mantra that the mantra, the mantra is a mind vehicle. It's a word that it, it comes from the Sanskrit. Man means mind, tra means vehicle. So the mantra is a mind vehicle. And my experience of the monosyllabic one is that I breathe in one and I breathe out one. I breathe in one and I breathe out one and I pace myself in that. And so, yeah, it's very much the experience you mentioned. And then when you say to do it without expectation, this is what I meant by not chasing after anything, just being present to your breath, just noticing your breath, focusing on that. And going back to this idea of meditation and prayer, I love the idea of starting with a prayer of intention. What I've done since becoming a meditator is every prayer is a moment for me to take first some deep breaths. And I've taught my family, I've taught my children. And when we were at the table, I think as Latter-day Saints, we too often go into Dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, amen, right? It's that kind of, wait a minute, whoa, slow down, you know, in the name of who? Are we saying something here? Or are we just, you know what I mean? Are we just trying to go through the motions? So just to take a couple, a few deep breaths before prayer, that's part of my, always part of my prayer practice now, and it comes out of the meditative practice. And then, as I said, for me, ending the, the meditation itself, especially after that manifesting so often, it just naturally occurs to me to say in the name of Jesus Christ, amen, because that is a prayer. Love it. That's lovely. You know, I, I think we've said this so many times before on prior episodes, but I think it bears repeating that breath, spirit, wind, they're all the same word in, in Hebrew and Arabic and probably in other languages too, but there there's a there's a similarity between how you feel when you take in, when you inhale and you exhale those deep breaths and do so in stillness and peace. There's a, a, a very similar feeling to what people will describe when they're feeling the spirit. And that's, I really think they're one and the same. I don't just think they're, you know, from a lexicon stand, uh, lex, lexical point of view is that a word chris from a lexical yeah. point of view i think it's a, a reality yeah I've, i have a thought to add to that I, i'm with you 100 percent, riley you know there's this other term from sanskrit that i think listeners may be familiar with which is prana and the idea of prana is that it is actually a word for breath but it's more than that it's a life force or a vital principle and i just can't imagine 
I think, especially after first learning about that, it made so much sense. I just can't imagine that I'm only breathing in and out for oxygen, Riley. You know what I mean? Right. Right. It's a life force that I'm breathing. It's God breathed his spirit into me in the beginning and continues to do so even now. So, Chris, I just wanted to introduce one tool that I use. And, you know, in meditation, there are many possible tools that can call your mind into this place of stillness and and spirit. And for me, I was given a gift by a friend of mine of this Nepalese singing bowl. And I'm sure many of you have seen these. They're, well, I can even give you a sound so you know what I'm talking about. Right? So it's these little singing bowls. This one in particular is about uh, 10 inches in diameter and has a, a nice deep sound to it. But anyway, I use this in my practice daily um, because I, I really find great value in it, and I've been able to incorporate it as part of my meditation practice as a reminder of not only getting in the moment and being present to the sounds and noticing the sounds of it, but it, it actually has maybe even a, a more important aspect. It's like this vibrational, really pleasing sound that puts me in a great spirit. There, there's more to these vibrations, uh, as I understand it, that than we know, right? Much more. Certainly, I don't know a, a lot about them, but I know that that there is more to it. You know, I love that you sounded it, but then you stopped it from sounding. Um, I'm I'm hoping you'll sound it again and and let us listen to it. You know, I, in reading books by Thich Nhat Hanh or and listening to recorded lectures or books, there's often a bell like this that is sounded once in a while throughout the lectures or throughout the books, maybe between chapters or between lectures that are meant to remind the listener to pause and focus on, on, on the breath again. And so I'd love to have something like that. I, I, was, I was thinking if there would be an app that would do that, that would be great, but I always have everything silent so that my watch notifies me in silence. I just... Well, it's I great that you bring that gift up. me a bowl. Yeah. Well, <laughs> there, there is a... There are fantastic apps that have these sounds of many different bowls on them, and they're free. So Insight Timer has one, um, so I would recommend that one. I've used that one in the past. Uh, let me grab this other one real quick. And there's another one just called Mindfulness that is, it's got the bell sounds as well. So those are great. Yeah, try those out. But what I'll We didn't do, really perhaps, go into apps. There, there are apps for, for meditation too, for guided meditation, like yeah. Calm and Headspace. There's one by an LDS guy called Medit, M-E-D-D-I-T, that I've used a lot. It's fantastic. It's got lots of guided meditations. I've got away from guided meditation for the most part, but when I do want to do one, I use that Medit app. So there's some great ones out there for sure. And you should get one that helps you to become comfortable with it and then just start to add to your own practice. But Chris, maybe what I'll do is I'll just kind of give the reader or the listener, excuse me, a sense for how I use this Tibetan bowl. And just maybe we'll just call into a moment of silence and let the listener experience rather than just listen to how, how and what this does for them. Remember to breathe.
Well, Christopher, I hope that uh, our listener has derived some benefit out of this and can start to understand the value of meditation for them. And I couldn't recommend it enough. It's it's done a lot for me, and I I know that it has more to do, and I'm no expert in it, but uh, I have certainly experienced the value in it, and I know that there's value for our listeners as well. Is there anything else you want to say as we close? I'd only like to add my second witness to what you've said. It's been a spiritual boon to me too. Well, for Latter-day Contemplation, I'm Riley Risto. And I'm Christopher Hurtado. Have a great week, everyone. <laughs>